Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Shall we begin? Let's begin now. This is Maya Moore, and you're listening to Dishin' and Swishin'. Hi, everybody. It's David Siegel. Welcome you to a playoff and slightly postseason Edition and Swishin podcast. I say slightly because the season is not over, but we have a major award winner with us today to help break down the rest of the playoffs and to talk about his team, the Connecticut Sun. It is a pleasure first to congratulate and also to welcome the WNBA Coach of the Year and first inaugural Executive of the Year, Kurt Miller. Coach, how are you today? Great, David. Uh, glad to be with you. Little still a little sad that we're not playing, but. Uh, um, you know, glad to be with you today. Well, you know, I, I, are you going to get in trouble if I ask you the first question of what do you think of those one and done? Should they somehow manage to make it a best two of three or something for the second for the second round? Are you going to get in trouble if I if I ask you that? I don't want to get you fined. I, I, I don't think so. You know, I, I, I certainly think that um, the three and four seeds have lost three out of the four times in the first two years, and but it is what it is. Um, you know, when you're in that seed, you feel like over the course of four months, you've earned the right for that first round by, um, and maybe deserve a longer series. But it is what it is. We all know going into it. And uh, while we're excited, uh, we were excited as the Connecticut team to earn that much needed by with us finishing the last eight days of the regular season on the road. Um, we, it, it didn't end up uh, in our advantage to come out on top. Uh, and three of the four times it hasn't in these first two years. So I, I don't know if we have the right format. We'll certainly continue to look at it. And uh, I'd like to say that those top three and four teams have worked incredibly hard and have had a lot of success over four months to maybe earn a series. But if it's not, um, if it's not meant to be, then we know what's ahead of us and we need to take care of business, which we haven't um, um, multiple times. Three out of the four of us haven't taken care of. So. Uh, what I'm more concerned about is, as I'm watching the semifinals and wishing that the Connecticut team was in it, um, I do think um, that something needs to be addressed on the short turnaround between the second and third rounds and watching Washington and uh, Phoenix have to travel immediately that next day, may or may not be able to squeeze into practice, and all of a sudden they're in the semifinals. I didn't think that... Uh, was a great format uh, for any type of success for those two road teams in game one. Um, I expected a different um, type of competitiveness in game two in both of those games because they were able to catch their breath and, and certainly prepare between game one and game two. But that short, short turnaround concerns me um, as that semifinal series has got started in both L.A. and Minnesota. Well, one last question on the on the idea of going to the second round series. Do you know? I do not know. Do you know how long we're locked into this uh, current format? Do you know if it can be changed? 
this year, next year, anything in particular? You know, David, I probably should, but uh, I'll claim ignorance. I, I'm not sure. And, and certainly the playoff format, and, and, and we go over everything in the competition committee and in our upcoming meetings in November. So we look forward to those and, and trying to get uh, what's best for the league, what's best for TV rights, what's best for exposure, uh, for what I think is our great game, and, and continue to expand our our footprint with more and more viewership and more and more fans. But uh, um, I am a little bit, I'll I'll claim ignorance. I'm not quite sure how long we're locked into it. Well, we're still still letting you get over the the season, so we can give you a pass on this one. Uh, Let's talk about those series and what you talked about. We might as well start out west because that was absolutely brutal, what you just said, Phoenix having to go from their home court to Connecticut, and then in one day, a 13-hour trip to L.A. to have to play. I mean, I did expect that first game to be a blowout, and uh, and, and it was not good basketball, and it was not uh, well officiated for that matter. I can say it; you don't, you don't have to. Uh, and it just it was ugly, and that's not how you want to see a semifinal start. So it's now 0-2. They did play more competitive game yesterday. Uh, and so what if let's start from Phoenix perspective what do they have to do in your opinion to to win the next couple of games at home and then uh, sneak one in LA well certainly I think when Phoenix played their best basketball right at the end of the season and heading into the two games that they won in the playoffs they they've done such a great job of slowing down the tempo and playing through Brittany Griner and I know that in our last uh, regular season game the next the last game of the regular season when we lost in Phoenix. Brittany Griner got 35 or 36 touches against us inside eight feet. And so they, they made a real concerted effort late in the season to play through her, and then they just play basketball. They've done a really good job. She's done a good job of not turning it over, reading the double team, playing out of it, and their veterans had made plays. I thought it was really difficult. We we tried to get their legs, David, in our series and audience, not in our series, in our one game playoff. We tried to really try to keep the game up tempo, scored fifty points at halftime, played a terrific first half. We just couldn't get it the same tempo in the second half. We didn't get enough stops, we didn't turn them over. And what happened was they made the plays in the fourth quarter against us and Mitchell, Curry and Tarazi, all in their thirties, made big threes against us late in the fourth quarter, and uh, and, I, and I think that was a, a huge credit to them, but we just couldn't keep the tempo up to get their legs. But I do, I do think that the way our game was played and the short turnaround affected them in game one. Game two, um, what I thought L.A. did such a good job of and what we were unable to get to the finish line and do is I thought Phoenix got tired in the fourth quarter and they didn't make some of the shots that they made against us. But more importantly, I thought L.A. turned them over. So... I still think that Phoenix has uh, a legitimate chance. You know, very few people in, in the history of the game can you compare to Brittany Griner or Diana Taurasi. Obviously, they're both you know, two of the best that have ever played. And so if they get the tempo the way they want, they can play through Griner, get her touches, but most importantly, keep their turnovers low um, in on the offensive end. I think they have a shot, and they have a great home crowd. Um, they're going to come ready, so... Certainly, you feel they have a shot at home. But L.A.'s got to continue to do what they do. They, when they move the ball from side to side offensively and really stretch your defense, 
when they can turn their turnovers, force uh, with their great length and great defensive players, they can turn you know, their defense into offense and keep the game up tempo and really move Phoenix. Then advantage goes back to LA. So uh, it's a great series to watch. I wish I was. I wish we were in it with LA or someone. Um, but uh, you know, it, it's fun watching again. Um, all these players in their 30s play against each other, and um, just tremendous, you know, tremendous talent on both sides. Of, on both sides. You mentioned the turnovers that LA has generated. You know, one of the things that is a clear factor for them these days is that backcourt. You know, the three of them with Beard, Gray, and of course Sims now, uh, and the defensive pressure that they can put on you for 40 minutes. So what's ending up happening is, a, you know, a 35-year-old Tarasi and a slight Mitchell and, you know, a, a Curry who has also bounced around between two teams and played limited minutes and big minutes. And, you know, it seems like that they're really, that backcourt is really able to control them and is making a huge difference that they can let Griner offensively you know, do what she's going to do, but they can get the ball from the other guards and they can force them to not be that second and third option. You know, Tarasi scored 21 last game, but she really didn't do much else. Uh, the thing, the big shots that you, the big plays that you expect from her. Well, it, it's a great matchup, and as you said, LA, their defense really generates some of their early offense, and then when they start moving the ball side to side, and you constantly can hear. Uh, Coach Agler uh, talking about moving the defense, moving the basketball. Um, he, he just implores them to do that all game long. So um, it's, it's fun to watch. I think Mitchell's been nothing short, uh, short of amazing. I, I just think she's a warrior. She's the best screening point guard in the league. She's tough as nails. Um, but they have to have big games. Mitchell and Tarazi and Curry and um, you know, they just have to have big games to think they can upset L.A. because L.A. is so balanced and uh, plays both ends of the floor so hard. But I, I, I don't think this series over. You have a travel day. Now this travels a lot shorter. Uh, then you have a, a good prep day. So I, I think, you know, going into game three, this is the game that you would feel as a fan that Phoenix has the most legit shot because – they have a little bit longer of a turnaround uh, than what was asked of them going from the second round into the semifinals. So um, I look forward to seeing game three, um, and I uh, think it's going to be one heck of a contest. Yeah, I don't know if Mitchell is fearless or has a death wish or what, but she is the one person that always, when they play Connecticut, cuts off Alyssa Thomas on one of those breaks and manages to throw uh, a monkey wrench in her plans for tearing up and down the court like a freight train. Uh, she does it like nobody else can. She just always manages to make that play and just avoid getting run over. <laughs> well, she just, you know, the interesting thing is I, I think she's trying to do the same thing as Candace Parker brings down the ball. And Candace has been able to give it up earlier and get it back and avoid it. But there's no question that she just disrupted us a little bit in the open court and single-handedly, uh, you know, slowed us down at times. And that's a credit to them. It's a credit to their coaching staff. Other teams have tried that against us, but weren't able to do that against AT. Uh, but, again, uh, Mitchell's as tough as there is in the league. Uh, just ultimate respect by our, our staff 
an organization on what um, Mitchell's been able to do in her pro career, but especially this year in Phoenix. We we are huge fans. Um, uh, you know, we don't like what she did to us, but we're huge fans because she certainly disrupted us uh, not only in the playoff game, but uh, she makes some big plays in the regular season against us also. Well, let's talk about the other series for a few minutes. Washington came out. They obviously had a lot less travel, you know, still still a different time zone and getting there and adjusting in short time. And it showed in game one, and they didn't play particularly well, and the result showed. Last game, though, they they were much better prepared. They seemed to play a little bit be- a lot a lot better and led for a good portion of that game. But still, Minnesota seems to always have the tools and make the big plays to come back and win games like that, even when they trail as late as the third quarter. Well, again, I, I thought the game was called – I thought the game was really physical in game one, but and I thought some things uh, were let go that weren't let go through the regular season. But when that happened, David, I was uh, pleased to see the flow that both teams got in. It was pretty amazing shooting performance by both teams and all those threes that Minnesota made. And, and so I thought it was a really, really well-played game and a fun game uh, for – uh, the casual WNBA fan or maybe to draw in new fans on how well that game was offensively. But as you said, Minnesota uh, pulled away in game one. And, again, it's just an incredibly tough turnaround. I don't care if the flight was shorter uh, from Washington to Minnesota. That is a tough, quick turnaround uh, with the emotion of trying to win like Washington did on the road in the second round to then turn around and have to be traveling and all of a sudden change your whole thought process going into the, the, the number one seed and the team that's proved to be the number one team this year, and, and rightfully so. But, you know, game two was a great game. I just uh, – Minnesota, you know, showed their championship culture, showed their experience in the third quarter and just never panicked. What a great crowd behind them. And, uh, again, a really, really good game. I, I, I frankly think it's been a really fun series to watch with all the shot makers that you have on both teams. And and so, um, again, you know, now travel home, take a deep breath. Minnesota, uh, Washington has a day to prepare. Um, now Minnesota's traveled for the first time. Um, you know, what what's game three going to be like? But uh, it, it's a fun series to watch. Uh, incredible amount of talent on both sides uh, again. One of the things that has been interesting for me to, that I've been watching is, yeah, you know, Washington normally has that plays that rotation where they're not the fastest up front with Deladon Misaman and Thomas, but they're big. Minnesota, you know, Maya can handle and get out in the open court. Brunson can even shoot threes. So Mike has been sort of, you know, at odds it almost seems between whether to go with a team that is heavily defensive flavored with high tower and cloud coming in or go with the offensive weapons that he has because right now with Taylor Hill being out of that team, Washington seems to be one way or the other. They can either play an offensive group or a defensive group, but ne'er the twain shall meet. So, you know, if you're coach, do you focus more on the defensive unit and try to stop Minnesota with all that talent, or do you try and score with them? Well, I – I'm glad I don't have to make that decision for Mike. Um, you know, he obviously knows what he wants best or how they want to play. But I think you heard him in a sideline interview that 
they can't get uh, into too fast of a pace that the big three aren't touching the ball. You've got to play through Tolliver. You've got to play through Meeson, and you've got to get Deladon touches. And if they play too fast and now is, is attacking as TRP can be, as good of a year as Thomas has had on the offensive glass and, and she can keep you honest around the basket, um, you, you don't want to start seeing Cloud and Hightower take too early of shots. Um, and Allison's been really solid. And, you know, Cloud had five points right out of the gate um, last night. So, you know, it's not like they're incapable scorers. But you can't fall in love with that. You you know, Mike's got to have them play through those the big three uh, for Washington to have success. The, the majority of the shot attempts have to come through them. Obviously, I think it would help Washington if the games were called close and they could get to the foul line because they have one of the premier foul shooting teams in the league. But uh, um, it's really difficult. I mean, Sylvia's the MVP for a reason. She's nearly unstoppable. Some of the big baskets when it was a tight game on offensive putbacks or finishes in traffic last night have, you know, pro coaches shaking their heads around the country watching uh, what Sylvia's doing. It's just remarkable how she finishes in traffic or goes and gets a big putback when they needed it most. But uh, they're champions, and they're, they're past champions for a reason. Simone makes big shots. Maya's not afraid of the moment. Lindsay, who sat a lot of the first half, made some big plays um, just when they needed them around the basket, as always, that she does. So, um, you know, they got they got a Warriors mentality, and, um, it, it's fun to watch from a person that hasn't been in the league a long time to watch the veterans play uh, from not only Minnesota but L.A., Phoenix. It's really, really fun to watch these uh, pros that have extended their careers into their early 30s to mid-30s play the game. They're, they're absolutely unbelievable pros. As a coach, if you have a young player, I, this is what you would do, not anybody else. You have a young player that's extremely important to your team, like Emma Meeseman, who is clearly struggling in this series so far. She, you could see that through her body language that as she's missing shots, she's starting to question and doubt herself. What do you do to try and keep her rolling, get her out of that funk? Because you have to have her, or else you really, you know, you're not going to go anywhere without her giving you some productivity. Yeah, I think you just got to keep encouraging her. She's too good of a shooter. Uh, she's too good of an offensive player to be in a slump very long. So can they get her the ball in places where she can be successful? Are they screening well enough for her? And then, and then her teammates are just going to pick her up and can keep talking to her. I, I, after a year of coaching Christy Tolliver, you know, I know her, and she does all the right stuff. She's going to tell Emma all the right things. And so – um, the one thing I don't think you're going to see is Emma lose confidence or, the, or, or teammates lose confidence in her. She's too good of an offensive player. But can they get her the ball where she can be successful? Are they screening well enough for her? Um, you know, and, but it, it can happen so fast. She can turn it around so fast and knock down threes or her, her you know, she's very, very herky-jerky with her one-on-one moves, very difficult to guard, lots of secondary moves, shoulder fakes. She can go over either shoulder. So, um, you know, I don't worry about Emma. She's you know, she's going to play through any kind of slump that someone thinks she's having. 
seemed like she was settling a little bit yesterday toward in the second half for more three-point shots instead of trying to go inside the lane. Uh, you know, of course, Maya is a tough assignment, you know, and for anybody uh, to get around, you know, and I think when Maya blocked that shot underneath when Emma thought she had a layup after faking Montgomery out, uh, I think that had a little bit of an impact in her uh, decisions as we as she went forward. Well, when you look at the top ten defenders in the league according to the, the voting, and your three, four, and five uh, are you know all on that list, um, you know it, it is not uh, an easy assignment to every possession when they're locked in the score against Minnesota. I, I'm glad that Brunson got the recognition that she uh, did on the defensive end because. I think she's one of the premier defenders in the league and may not always be recognized that way. Um, and, you know, obviously Sylvia, Sylvia and, and Maya um, is also very long and athletic and hard to score against when she's locked in. So um, at this time of the year, you're going to get your, the best effort. Um, obviously the scouting is um, really in-depth at this time of the year. Everybody knows what everybody's doing. So it's not an easy task to score against that 3-4-5 at Minnesota. Well, there's no question that the next game, at least at least that game, is going to be a fun one to watch. I think neither of these teams, with the veterans and the stars that they have and the coaching experience they have, are teams that are going to roll over and just say, "Oh well, we're we're going to just get swept." They they certainly will not do that easily. So I think that game three will be a lot of fun. And I'm not going to put you on the spot with your coaching fraternity and ask you for a prediction for the rest of the playoffs. So. We'll keep, know, it, the, we'll keep I'm it. We'll keep it easy. I'm the worst. I'm the worst predictor in the in the league for sure. Like uh, we try to pick every single game amongst our coaching staff, and I can promise you that I'm always in last place. I'm trying to predict winners. So <laughs> I, I appreciate you not letting, not asking me. Okay, so so let's turn our attention now that we talked about. It, let's talk a little bit about your team and uh, what went on this season. And I've got uh, I've got some questions that I think uh, you know everybody has read the postseason uh, roundups now and your comments and the quotes from you know Jasmine and Alyssa Thomas and John Quell. You know, so so the po- that's all done. So so let's ask a couple of questions and get your take on some things. I'll give you some uh, some fill in the blanks and see what you can say on that. So we'll try something a little different. It should be fun. So my first question is, I won Coach of the Year when my team did what? Wow, David, that's not a softball. Right, right <laughs> out of the gate, I got a, a hard, high one. Um, so what do you think was the, what was the difference? When did you when did you think that you know what? This team is really going to do something, and you know I, I'm doing. We've got something special going on here. Whether you want to take credit or not. <laughs> no, I, I, I think I won Coach of the Year when the team believed they could win close games. And, uh, I, you know, I, I well documented this year. We started out 0-4, 1-5, but we were in so many of those games and, and gave up a nine-point lead in the fourth quarter in the last five minutes to Washington. We gave up a four-point lead in the last two minutes to Indiana. You know, right out of the gate, and uh, all of a sudden we had lost a couple close games. And once that team realized that they could win close games and that we had talent, and we had something I thought unique um, compared to some of the league, not all the league, but some of the league, 
I thought we had five players on the floor at most times that were hunting for shots and can score. We we didn't have a lot uh, a lot of um, teams on the floor ever that had a non-scorer. Um, we were pretty typically had five scores on the floor. And when we started to learn how to win close games and it wasn't playing through one person and maybe that made us even more difficult in crunch time to guard because you didn't know exactly who we were going to run sets through or, or the play through. Um, once we started to win close games, uh, there was a confidence in that locker room. There was a belief in that locker room that I, I just can't explain. Now, off the court, I think I became coach of the year when the culture became as good as we hoped it would in the locker room. And we had something very special, and I know we beat it to death this year uh, in the media, but uh, there was something about the chemistry of our team on and off the court. They play with each other and for each other that's truly special and uh, not coached speak. It really is there. It's just not coached speak. And I asked them if I was making more of it uh, in the exit interviews to each and every one of them than it really was, and, and they absolutely said no from top to bottom, that uh, they uh, really, really enjoyed each other and had a special chemistry as a team. And uh, so, you know, those two aspects, the, the aspect on the court, but off the court, the chemistry, the culture that um, developed in the locker room, which we hoped was, was developing, was truly special. Uh, on the same note, uh, the thing that I was most pleased with with my team for the year was uh, being able to play fast. Um, you know, we want uh, we wanted to be an up tempo team. We wanted to be an attacking downhill playing team. And uh, until that last West Coast road trip to Phoenix and LA, it looked like we were going to end the year. Um, the number one team in scoring. And uh, while we ended up second and, and scored five less points on the season than Dallas, um, you know, really, really pleased that we established an up-tempo attacking style of play. I think it was on top of the winning and top of the chemistry that really showed to our fan base, I think it energized a, a fan base that was looking to be energized because we were exciting to watch. We played an exciting attacking style. It was great to see the crowd as fired up as they were, especially down the stretch in that last game. Uh, in particular, we hadn't seen that in you know several years. Uh, it was great to see. You know, it just goes to show you that if you build, if you build it, they will come. And that it is a fun, fast-paced, enjoyable to watch team that's having a good time. You know, the fans feed on, you know, people don't realize, I think, sometimes that the fans feed on the positive energy of the players, too. Absolutely. And I, I've heard from so many people, from fans to executives to front office personnel, that even when we lost, the mood of our fan base walking out after the playoff loss was remarkable and already talking about 2018 and excited about next year and and they got it. Uh, they got it that Phoenix was more experienced than us, and they made just a few more plays. And um, you know, but our time is coming. And uh, and so even as we exited for the season and, and got beat at home in the playoffs, the excitement of our fan base going into next year 
um, after that game, immediately knee-jerk reaction after that game, is very, very encouraging that we we have a fan base energized and excited for the future. Now put on your GM hat for a second. So, so my Executive of the Year award was justified by what move in particular? What did you think was your biggest off-season move or in-season move? Well, I, I think it's the culmination. Um, and, again, you know, there's a lot of buzz, negative buzz around the Internet about should it have been Jim Pittman, should it have been Greg Bibb, and I'm the first one to tell you they were on my voting list um, and for both of them, what they've done. And so, But I think it was a culmination of watching young stars become all-stars, watching a, a, a fan base that was in decline, energized, and people coming through the stands. I think I got credit for being the second-best executive in the building um, and what Amber Cox was able to do with our social media and our all-star campaign and the traction that we got across the league with the little things that we were doing for our players uh, on all the social media uh, platforms. And so I, I, I think probably I got a little bit of credit for that and had nothing to do with that. That's because, you know, the the best executive in the building is Amber Cox, and what she did for our franchise this year is nothing short of amazing. So, um, you know, so I, I think it was a culmination of a lot of factors, um, th- that's for sure. And even you know, a move or two that we made, um, by moving to me a little um, and getting Kaiser, why it didn't work out necessarily because of Lynetta did not have a healthy year and never impacted us the way her talent level could have impacted us because of her injury. And the draft pick that we picked up and, the, you know, adding Brianna Jones to the roster where Brianna Jones is here to stay and is only going to get better and better. And, and where she came from, from May to September, uh, was remarkable and a credit to her. But it was that trade that enabled us, when we did have injuries, to move Alyssa Thomas to the fore, and everything fell into place and everything took off. You have a durable, seasoned pro that has played more games over the last decade than anyone in the history of the league in, in over the last 10 years. So you got to believe if Camille was still on our team, she would have had a healthy, productive year, and if she's there, she's your starting four, and you probably don't make the move to Alyssa Thomas to the four. So even though that trade may didn't work out in terms of Lynetta having a great year because of all the injuries, that trade did have a domino effect, which allowed us to move Alyssa Thomas to the four. So it's weird how things worked out. And I don't know if all the executives around the league put those domino pieces together, but we pushed a lot of right buttons, and I appreciate um, the, the award and humbled about the award because I certainly think there was other deserving executives around the league. Well, I'm going to throw a couple other things out there that you did just to make sure that people realize. To me, the way that the Chenea Gumake situation was handled was huge in the fact that you had a player who has been a key cog to the the promotion on and off the court of this team go down with a major injury Yet you managed to get her to locked in so that there's not a question about her future. She's still around because of the ESPN and is part of your, you know, the environment, which is huge. Uh, 
and you don't have any difficulties with a star being disgruntled about sitting out the season. So to me, that was huge. You know, the other thing about the Kaiser move was, you know, Kaiser is a productive locker room force, and whether or not Camille would have been the same amongst players as young as John Quell and Morgan and uh, the rest of Brianna Jones, the rest of the young players, Kaiser, we know helped. And the other thing is people people giggle or laugh and talk about DA and, and you know that she doesn't provide a lot on the court because she doesn't get that many minutes. But you know, if you could see the way that D, people could see the way that DA is with her teammates and the way that the teammates love DA, signing her and Kayla Peterson were both key to the chemistry that made this team so important that was so important to this team and made them successful. So I'm going to give you some props for those moves as well. And I think that also are reasons why you deserve the executive of the year award. Well, I appreciate it. You know, Kayla Peterson saved us, um, you know, and if we don't have injuries, we don't sign Kayla Peterson. And she was just a tremendous pickup and an unbelievable locker room person and an energy person that we needed so much. You mentioned D.A. I mean, there, there wasn't a better teammate in the league, I can't believe, than Danielle Adams. Her teammates loved her. And while uh, Danielle wasn't as productive as maybe um, the exhibition and late in the season and I didn't push her, you know, I didn't call her number to come on the court, uh, she was invaluable in the locker room, true pro. Um, she belongs in this league. If she gets, you know, in better and better condition and, and uh, you know, doesn't have any follow-up knee issues. Um, she belongs in this league. She's so talented, but even better person than a player. And so, a lot of things went a lot of things went right for us. And, uh, and, and in particular, the chemistry and some of those moves. But the Cheney one, I appreciate that because that was not an easy negotiation. That wasn't an easy uh, immediate uh, get to the outcome that we had. And, and our goal was to try to get our core veteran base, uh, our young veterans, under long-term contracts. And for us being able to get Shanae under a long-term contract at the same time, allowing her an opportunity to chase her ESPN and other, you know, other goals and aspirations, it's not easy to suspend someone and take that money out of their pocket. But uh, we have such a commitment to her going forward. Um, it enabled her to uh, expand her brand away from the basketball court. Um, it worked out so well for both sides, and uh, we're really, really excited about Janae's future with us, but um, also her her other interests and in, uh, how um, this off season, you know, the unintended consequences that we always talk about. It, without that injury, um, she isn't where she is at this point in her career with ESPN. So. Um, you know, a win-win situation for a lot of us. Two more quick ones, and I'll let you go. Uh, I knew John Quell Jones was special when. Uh, when we watched an individual workout at the conclusion of her senior season, um, just unbelievable talent. And uh, um, you know, just at that point, I wasn't the GM, and, but just my staff and I just. Uh, you know, just talking about her, who we were blue in the face to Christianko, our GM at the time, and Nicoletis, our CEO, um, about, um, you know, it, we need somehow to end up with her. Um, you know, so we knew she was special um, before she even was drafted. But when you worked with her 
um, during her rookie season, um, you just knew that uh, she was only scratching the surface and that with, when she got an opportunity, she was just going to explode. Um, and it wasn't that rookie year. It wasn't always the right timing. We had more depth. I didn't let her play through as many mistakes. Um, but uh, this season, um, I think she showed everybody that uh, she has a chance to be one of the great ones. One thing that a coach always does, because you're a coach and it goes with the territory, is you sit, you sit back and you shake your head and say, if I only had done this, if you had the one do-over, if you had one do-over for this year, what would you like that, like that to be? Well, I'm always hard on myself and look at myself in the mirror as a coach. Um, I am, okay. uh, I, I'm a hard-pressing coach during the game, much more positive coach during practice, but you know, I, I, I really, really challenged them. And, you know, I thought I did a good job of trying to keep us rested. Um, you know, if there was w- one thing, you know, that I'm disappointed in is, David, you can look at my entire head coaching career, the 13 years as, as a Division One um, head coach and now the two years in the pro game. You could argue the two things that are most important to me as a coach um, in terms of play is overachieving, and then secondly, peaking at the right time. Um, and you could argue in all 13 years at the collegiate level that our teams, um, when you looked at our team at the beginning of the year and what was expected, you could argue that all 13 of my seasons in the collegiate game our teams overachieved, which is pretty remarkable. Um, but more importantly, I always felt like we were peaking at the right time. If there's anything that I wish I had a do-over this year, while – I do believe, I, I think it would be hard to argue that we didn't overachieve. Um, I don't think we peaked uh, right at the playoff time. And uh, if there's anything that I could do over, I wish, um, I wish I could have a do-over and try to get us to peak at the right time. And it's pretty raw and still emotional right now. I'm not sure I quite have my pulse on why we didn't play our best basketball right at the end of the season. We're proud of our performance in the playoff game, thought we played well, thought we gave our chance, uh, a chance to win. But I, I could look myself in the mirror and maybe the first time in a 15-year head coaching career that maybe we didn't peak at the right time. And uh, so I'm going to use this long off season to try to you know uh, figure out why we just weren't playing our best basketball that last 10 days of the season. Um, and if I could change something uh, and do something better going into next year, I certainly will try. Well, I think the first question that you have to do along that line is to see who you pay off in the league office so that you get the end of the season back home instead of ending the season on a West Coast road trip. <laughs> well, it didn't. You know, I think that West Coast road trip would have happened with nearly six days off if we didn't have the uh, postponement of the Washington game. So, yes. you know, just some things that. Uh, didn't fall in our favor. Uh, unfortunately, we were able to win that um, makeup game with Washington, and that solidified our bye, which was necessary. But that West Coast that West Coast road trip to Phoenix, LA, to finish the year was supposed to be coming off a six day break. So uh, it's just unfortunate uh, what happened to our rain out in Washington and where it was rescheduled, creating that eight day road swing to finish the season uh, with not an easy road swing and certainly uh, not easy and, and pretty much unprecedented that a team comes off of a 
eight-game road trip to the West Coast headed into the playoffs. Well, we, that's still a sore nerve with all everybody that covers the team, too, wondering how it ended up being scheduled when it was. And, again, my goal is always to keep money in your pocket, so I won't ask any more questions about that. <laughs> well, Kurt, congratulations on a great season. It, it, you know, you've done an incredible job with the team, making them such an enjoyable team and having such a resurgence in a short period of time. You know, I, I thought it was very interesting the comment that you and Dallas were the two highest-scoring teams and you both had such youth and excitement and enthusiasm out of those teams. I think that that's something that uh, a lot of other teams will be looking at as a blueprint as they go forward. You'll start having more and more copycats. So congratulations well, again. I appreciate it. It was fun to play that way. Dallas had fun to play that way. But we know the playoffs become a little bit more of a grind. So this young team's going to learn how uh, going into the next year, it's a goal of mine to learn how to grind out games. And if we have to win a game in the 70s in the playoffs, that we're able to do that. But that's we're getting ahead of ourselves. It's new chemistry on the way, on the way. You know, new challenges every season uh, pose, and we'll start to get ready this off season. But uh, I appreciate your support. I appreciate your coverage. Um, very, very blessed to coach in the Connecticut market. There's unbelievable coverage for our WNBA team and and uh, not all not all other 11 teams in the league have the media coverage that we get so I don't take it for granted and really appreciate it and you're one of those people so thank you. It's my pleasure and now on to the tough part. You've got some tough decisions coming up in the off season. I don't think that's ever going to change. I'm learning in a hurry that there's tough decisions every off season and uh, we're not the only club with some tough decisions but uh, Thankfully, we have a lot of our core base uh, under contract, and uh, we'll tackle the ones that aren't, but uh, we feel really well going in the off season. And I hope our year and uh, our success and how much fun our players are having playing in Connecticut open doors to free agency that maybe weren't open in the past. So we'll wait and see, but uh, I'll have my recruiting my recruiting uh, feel ready uh, for, you know, that free agent if, they, if she exists out there. Sounds good. Thanks, sir. Thanks, David. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.